You're listening to 128, a podcast about spiritual maturity, real people, real talk, real life. Hey everybody, welcome to 128, based on Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, This is a podcast where we interview those who are spiritually mature to uh, glean from their lives some lessons that we can apply to our own. Today, I am uh, interviewing Dennis and Sandy Holt, good friends and uh, faithful faithful uh, members of uh, our Grace Point Plainfield community and just think the world of them. They're in a transition in their life. They'll be heading to uh, Tennessee. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation that we have together. So without much further ado, uh, let's get started. Well, I have the privilege of being here with Dennis and Sandy Holt. Dennis is uh, is older than me, but we're, uh, we jokingly like to say that we're brothers from another mother. Um, and uh, Dennis is largely uh, one of the relational reasons uh, why conversations continued, even as we were considering kind of our next season of ministry and getting us up here to Grace Point. And so uh, we just so appreciated both he and Sandy, Melissa and Sandy are great friends. And uh, these are some dear, dear saints who are about to enter into a new phase of their life. And so before they go, it's been my privilege. It's going to be my privilege for us to have a, a sweet conversation together about spiritual maturity and life and faith. And, um, and each of you has overcome from some pretty serious obstacles, you know, as a part of the process. And so um, I just want to talk through some of that, uh, talk about your journey of faith, um, and, um, and maybe hopefully glean out a couple of insights for people who are listening. So I, I know you just sold your house, but just for the listeners, where was your house located? Crete. Crete. Now, not the country. Okay, Crete, not the country. But I tell you what, with the distance, yes, it might just be. It could be seen like you're driving it all the time. Just out of curiosity. All right. So, you guys have been part of the Plainfield congregation since when? I started the week after it opened, so 2002, June of 2002. 2002. And I came about 2007. Seven or eight. Mm-hmm. 2007. All right. Mm-hmm. It's 2020. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. It's been many, many years. 2002, 2007. Um, and so for the listener, so they know how far one way is it from Crete to Plainfield driving? 60 miles. 60 miles. Mm-hmm. So about about an hour. Oh, no, a little more than that. So right. You got to go through village streets in Crete. So it's an, it's an hour, 15 minutes, roughly. Roughly an hour, 15 minutes. Now, yes. in... A given week, mm-hmm. roughly, how often do, are you a part of Plainfield? You're, you're, I know you're there on Sundays. You've also picking up mail. You're there during the week. All kinds of things. So roughly. It, it has reduced. It was four times a week. Okay. And now it's about twice a week. All right. So four, we'll call it four times. We'll split the difference. Mm-hmm. Four and two, we'll split to three. Mm-hmm. So three times a week, you guys are driving two hour, two and a half hours mm-hmm. just to come and serve and participate mm-hmm. and be a part of advancing God's kingdom in the Plainfield area. Correct. Is yes. that right? Correct. That's a lot of driving. I'm just saying yes, that's a is. lot <laughs> of driving. And yet you guys are, you know, there's so many people, they have these excuses about they're not there on time, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, I can't make it. Like my dog get my homework and I was late and I had to get a coffee and I woke up, but then it took me a while. But you aren't just there. You guys are there beyond on time. You're there early. early. You're there early. We help get things ready. You help get things ready. Like you know what it is to be faithful and you know what it is to sacrifice and serve. Uh, both of you are mature believers. And, you know, there's, there's a, there's some people who get stuck their whole lives not being mature believers. Um, and yet other people will grow to maturity. And I'm not talking age. I'm talking spiritual condition. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm curious to know a little bit about your stories. And I want other people to know some of what I have known and do know. And um, 
So I'm just going to uh, kind of dig in here and just ask how you guys each individually came to faith in Christ. And I don't know if you want to Rochambeau for who goes first, but uh, who would like to share how they came to faith in Christ? Okay, I'll go first. All right. Um, and Dennis, I, you're from Chicago, right? Because I can tell from your Yeah, accent. you can tell from I grew up in Alabama. 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 And that's, by the way, Alabama is how many syllables in the South? 12? In the South, that'd be, that'd be between seven and nine, depending <laughs> on who you talk to. Uh, Jesus is seven or eight. So you, you can, we get the connotation. I was a sophomore at the University of Alabama. Uh, roll in, Tide. Roll Tide. Studying in my room, if you call it studying. I looked up on the bookshelf and saw a black book with no markings. And said, wonder what that is. And I pulled it off and it was a Bible given to me by my mother 10 years earlier when I was uh, eight or 10 years old. And uh, what made it remarkable was it was a holy Bible, the old King James red letter. There was nothing on there to indicate it was a Bible that had all worn off. But when I turned it around to the front, she had put my name on there in gold and it was as gold and bright as ever. So here it was typical of my life. Bible had disappeared. Jesus wasn't in my life. And there was my name prominent. It made me get up from my study and take a walk. And I ended up walking to, of all places, a football stadium where I had found peace uh, before when I was in high school. I never knew what that peace was, but I was looking for peace. And uh, for the first time and probably only time in history, somebody left the gate open. And I ended up getting in the stadium and going to the middle of the football field and kneeling. And I simply said, God, I don't know. I heard a lot about you. I've been taught a lot about you, but I don't know you. If you're real, reveal yourself. I'm going to be back here tomorrow night. I want you to reveal yourself. Uh, typical of us, God had other plans than that, of course. So the next night, I was true to my word. I went back and the gates were all locked as they should be. And so I went for a walk then and said, I guess that's the answer. And I ended up on the steps of the library main library at the university campus and suddenly felt his presence and uh, fell to my knees right there and accepted Christ. My goodness. Um, and knew it immediately that, that, that had happened. Uh, I, I describe it as, as carrying this massive weight, mm-hmm. like you're carrying a, like in the old days, carrying all the heavy weight, carrying an anvil on my shoulders. And suddenly I didn't feel your fork, but I felt the weight just lift off from me and I felt free actually free for the first time that kind of reminds me of that scene in the mission where robert de niro carries his armor up to the top of the waterfall yeah yeah and he lets it off so a couple of things about your story that i just want to press into a little bit the first is um i'm amazed that people can become christians in that stadium the second yeah thing, me too. i'm just not sorry me I too. That in there. This, the second thing is tell me a little bit like were you raised in a christian home i mean here's this bible your mom gave to you what was the disconnect, do you think, in retrospect between, uh, I don't know, the environment you were raised in? Was it consistent with the environment you were raised in? But where do you think it was for you? Grew up in a Methodist church. Mm-hmm. Got sprinkled when I was four or five. Um, just typical of a kid. It wasn't very interesting. Got older and uh, didn't, I went to church, but it, it didn't mean anything to me. I, I'm sure. God was reaching out to me, but I was non-responsive, couldn't hear, obviously. Uh, so I think I, I, I went on a date with a young lady in high school. Uh, and on that date, all she could talk about was this guy, Christ. And that, you know, I didn't want to hear that. I'm on a date. You're going to go on a date, get a pop, kiss a girl, whatever. Um, so she talked about it. And as a result of that, I, I wondered what that was really like after I'm meeting somebody who really lives the life. As a result of that, I went to her church a few times and got a little more interested in what was being taught, but still didn't feel that calling. So it was, it took God reaching out to me to say, yeah. uh, you need to come to me now. You, you've wasted enough time uh, there, on your own. They're in college. What year is this? I think you're this would be 1962. 1962. Uh, um, Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1962. Was the day that you yes accepted Christ? Mm-hmm. Wow, on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. For those who are listening, if you just heard a cuckoo clock, that's my cuckoo clock. Um, it is totally disconnected from the actual time, although it may nope still totally disconnected yeah. from the actual time. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, uh, Sandy, what about you? Tell me about your journey of faith. 
um, how were you raised in, in were, A, were you raised in a faith? Were you not raised in a faith? And then how did you come to a, kind of a transformative faith in Christ? I was, uh, my grandparents were the founding fathers of the Lutheran church that was three blocks from my home. Mm. And we were faithfully there every Sunday. Um, we, we heard a lot of law mm -hmm. as typical of the Lutheran church, I guess. And, uh, it just like Dennis said there, there wasn't a real connect there. I got confirmed and, and married there. And then I moved to Montana and where in Montana Bozeman. Yeah. I've been to Bozeman. It's that's, that's a beautiful area. In fact, I've driven South of Bozeman down into yellow, dropped into Yellowstone from the back mm -hmm. kind of side of Yellowstone. Wow. God's country. That's for sure. Lived in a log cabin, didn't you? Yes, I did. Big sky, big, big sky, sky country. And, um, we went to the Lutheran church, my husband and I, and, um, the pastor just kind of read, read whatever sermon was in the book, yeah, you know, the book literature. of sermons, and mm -hmm. he just read them. And so there was no growth there. And one of our um, friends invited us to this Baptist church that he was starting. And so we went, and you could just feel the love of God there. The people just loved you in. And um, I've learned in my life that God prepares you for your trials ahead of time. Yeah. And he got us into that church um, at a time when I needed that most. And um, my husband left me with two little babies yeah. and that church took me under their wing and you could just feel God working through them, helping love, me out and helping me through that trial. I couldn't have done it without him. Now, some people talk about salvation like the Mississippi River. This is this was the analogy that I heard when I was in seminary. So when I say some people, I mean my professor, and I've used it a lot since. Mm -hmm. But uh, he said uh, there are some places on the Mississippi where you can cross the river. You know you're across. You made a decision. The Dennis, that's your story. Mm -hmm. There are other places where it's wider, and you have to take a boat across. But once you get on the other side, you know that you're on the other side. Sandy, was that more your experience with salvation? Yes. I didn't have a transformative moment. Yeah. But, it, but, and yet you're transformed. Yes. So it was kind of this thing where at one point it was like, oh, Jesus, you really are in control of everything. Mm -hmm. But it was this, uh, this journey across the Mississippi of kind of gradually saying, yeah, God, one step, next step, next step. And here's this church just loving you through. Um, all right. So, uh, Dennis, you're now a Christian in the University of Alabama, a school that you, uh, man, have absolutely no affiliation or allegiance to yeah. <laughs> uh, For those who are listening, uh, Dennis, I maybe owns two non-University of Alabama Crimson Tide shirts. Everything else is Alabama. He's got all the stickers. He's got all the gear. He is a true fan. Um, so 1960, what again? Two. 1962. Um, what happens then? Well, first I'd, I'd say in a lot of discussions since then in life groups, et cetera, there's always this discussion about, I don't, I don't have Sandy. I don't have a moment when I can point to and say lightning struck me. And I'm always jealous of the person who grew up in the church who got the word deep. I didn't get the word. I didn't hear it. She at least got a ground solid basis for what would become her eventual beliefs. And I didn't get that. So mine was a moment, but, I had a long way to go because I didn't know anything about the word I hadn't said about it. Um, as a result of that, I... By the way, there's a benefit to the moment. I just want to interject real quick. Okay. The benefit to the moment is there is, an, a, there is a definite line of demarcation. You know what it was before, you know what it was yes. after. Yes, Right? And uh, so that's the benefit to that moment. So Correct. I, I wouldn't... Um, and I know the, the regret of saying, well, I didn't grow up in a Christian house and all that. But again... In some ways, that's awesome ability to go. I know what does and doesn't look. The disadvantage, like disadvantage is I didn't have the the grounding. I didn't have the biblical grounding. So I got to start from scratch. Yeah. Here's the Bible, but I don't know very much about the Bible. Never read it. So as a result, that I began to read obviously the Bible and found it not only a fascinating read, really interesting read, but something that would make me grow in terms of my maturity within the church. Within um, Within a year, I was attending the big church in uh, at Alabama, the what is known as the College Church. Is that called Roll Tide? No, it's called Calvary Baptist Church. Calvary, you know? right. So, but 
shortly thereafter, I got married. And within a few months of getting married, suddenly I was the youth director of the church, massive church, uh, 140 junior hires and probably a hundred high schoolers. And then several hundred college kids. So with no training and just learning the Bible, I got thrown into that and it turned out to be really great because it forced me to study harder. So I got to teach kids something I don't know, which makes me work harder to get there. I think that's probably God used that to develop my, me, made me more mature, obviously, in the word. So did you have to stay like one step ahead? Was it just literally like, oh, okay, I got to go learn this and stay? Especially because youth, youth can be Well, tough. the, the kid, little kids, you tell them something, they, they understand or they don't understand, whatever. When you get to college kids, they're a lot smarter than me. And so a lot of them have obviously grown in the church. They know the word better than me. So, yes, it was a challenge to to go there every night and be a little nervous and be a little sweaty because I know there, somebody's going to ask me a question. I don't know. Uh, but I learned at least to, to deflect it and say, I'll get back to you. And I'd go get an answer. And, and, and the pastor of the church was very understanding of the fact that he had hired somebody who was new. And he gave me a lot of help. He, he would sit and have Bible studies with me one-on-one, -on -one, which was really beneficial. Did, so, you, did you have like a goosebump moment, like right after you came to faith and you were like, oh, this is like it's romantic with Christ. And then you had to get into the word. Or was it pretty quick right to the word? No, it was it was the it was the moment. And then I realized I got to get to it. And, and <laughs> fortunately, he was there when I opened the book, as you and I know. Yeah. As soon as I opened the book, then he started speaking to me. And and it's as if I didn't start with a Bible study. I just started reading from Genesis on. And, but eventually I realized I got to go some, somewhere beyond this. So the pastor told me you got to. Well, it's good reading. Go ahead and read that, but go to the New Testament. Let's talk about Jesus. And so that's where I had to do most of my study because that's where the teaching came from with kids in class. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a growing moment. For me, I realized that uh, Jesus had to be more than just the Savior. He had to be something beyond that in my life. So it really came in three phases. He became my Savior. A short while, a few years later, became my master, and then eventually became my best friend. And, that changed a lot of how I approach things. Interesting. Did, did um, all right. So, so, did you get married in college? Got married when I was uh, finished my sophomore year of college. Sophomore year of college. And at what point does the Billy Graham thing kick in? Uh, kicked in right after that. Um, I Billy Graham in those days was putting out films, and so I, I my church got involved. So I, because I was a youth guy, they made me go work with the films locally, and so I, I began to work with their films when they brought them to our campus or brought them to our town. As a result of that, I met a guy named Stan Mooneyham, who was a regional director in, in uh, Atlanta, met him and he in eventually introduced me to Billy Graham. And then shortly thereafter, 1963 is when Alabama was integrated and went through pure terror with on campus, obviously. As a result of that, we had started the Fellowship of Christian Athletes chapter on campus. And we reached out to Billy and said, would you come to our campus just for a day. We need some calming. We need some Jesus on our campus. He agreed to come one day. Uh, he came on a Sunday afternoon and uh, it rained all day. Uh, he got up. Who was uh, the umbrella holder for that? Uh, I was actually. Okay. He got up to preach and he had spoken about a minute or two and the lightning struck. In those days, it was a microphone stand. Lightning struck the stand, came all the way up to stand and hit him and he bounced him back a couple, three feet. He stood there a minute shaking. I joked with people that's when his hair turned white, but not true. Uh, he took a step forward to the microphone and said, God has spoken. I'm sitting down. And he sat down for probably 10 minutes. The rain didn't let up. He got up and apologized and said, I'll be back. As a result of that, I got more involved with him. Uh, through FCA, we'd go to Black Mountain, which is a stone throw from their house. And uh, I got to know the family much better, and I got to work with him quite a bit. Uh, I got to speak at a crusade when I went to work for Amico. Oh um, so I had a lot of contacts with the family. I got to know. The, uh, the having Billy Graham come out and um, obviously being friends with Mr. Graham, the Holy Reverend Graham. Yeah. Um, Billy Graham is just a legend and, and sure he's everything behind the scenes that you would expect uh, when you see him in front of the scenes, except maybe he's a little funnier. Um, yes, he is. But you're at the vanguard of the integration movement at the University of Alabama. And uh, the idea for bringing Billy Graham out is to 
have him speak to uh, a racially divided campus. Absolutely. And and at the same time on the stage, it was a racially mixed stage. No. Okay. It was in the football stadium, of course, because okay. um, our our auditorium gymnasium only seated twenty five hundred as the old days. So Coach Bryant built this platform. I had a platform built for Billy to come speak on it. It was open to the public, but I I do not recall seeing anyone other than white people right. there. Uh, and this is still we just we've had one student there for a short period of time when he came. Uh, eventually, that got. Obviously, that became more, but at the time, there was only one student, and, and feelings were still pretty hard. So he, his two minutes was very right spot on. He got to the message right away, but obviously couldn't finish it. Uh, he came back a few years later after I left campus and did a series in Birmingham at Legion Field and filled the stadium with black and white. And he came back to Bama uh, a few years after that when we built our new uh amphitheater with where they play basketball with 25,000 people filled it every night and yeah. there were blacks and whites sitting together and much yeah, a lot of, I think a lot of people don't know or at least even remember that Billy Graham actually did quite a bit behind the scenes to try and bridge racial divides and his team did he, re- well. he refused to he refused to come to Legionville and Birmingham if they didn't allow both uh, blacks and whites and didn't tell them where they had to sit mm-hmm. that was a, a big move mo- anybody could sit anywhere and anybody yes. could come I'm sure there were a lot of uncomfortable people, but it worked fine, and people came to know Jesus thanks to yeah. his teaching in the moment. So, Sandy, you're in Montana. Yes. You're raising two kids. Yes. And uh, you're in this uh, Baptist church, small Baptist church. Very small. They were just starting up. Just starting up. Mm-hmm. And um, how long did you wind up staying in Montana? I was there 10 years. 10 years in yeah. Bozeman with those two kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, well, they were just little. My son was only four months old, and my daughter was two. So what, where'd you go from there? So here you are, you're listening to the services, you're across, you're moving across the divide or you're across the divide in terms of spiritual gulf. And now you're learning quite a bit about the word and about community mm-hmm. and about um, what it means to participate in a movement as a single mom, you know, trying to figure out life. And Bozeman, Montana isn't exactly easy living. Like it's, it's not... It's not, uh, it's not like, oh, I just moved to the suburbs of California, you know, yeah. and yeah. I'm a single mom with, you know, two kids and life's so hard because my Pilates class just, you know, switched their times and I can't get my yeah. cappuccino. What, uh, I mean, you know, Bozeman, Bozeman can be pretty rugged. Tell me about those 10 years. What was that like for you to kind of grow in that way? And then what prompted a, a move away from Bozeman? Well, the 10, the 10 years I was there, um, my husband didn't leave until towards the end, the last couple of years. Okay. So, um, so the first part where you guys were all together, it was right. Yeah. Right. So, um, I couldn't raise two kids on my own and work and not have any family there. So yeah. I came back to Crete. So you came back to Crete mm-hmm. and, uh, and moved at where your parents were yep. and your extended family was. Yes. What was that like coming back for you? Um, for I really didn't want to do it. I didn't think I'd ever move back in Crete and, I lived with my parents for a year and I did not want to go back to the Lutheran church, but because I was living with them, I felt obligated. Interesting. And mm-hmm. so I did. Um, my kids went to the Lutheran school that I had attended as a kid all the, and they went all the way through high school. And you didn't want to go to the Lutheran church because you didn't want it to be a colder kind of a... I learned in the Baptist church, you should go where you grow. Oh, very good. And mm-hmm. I remember that mm-hmm. and I wasn't growing there, mm-hmm. but I couldn't leave. So... When I met Dennis, who was going um, to Plainfield, that was my way out. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I bet a guy. Yeah. Sorry, I don't care. I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> so you got all you got all the blame, Dennis. Yes, yeah. I got the blame. And the kids were grown, and so I started going to his church. And same thing, you know, you could see God at work there. The people are phenomenal. They they love you unconditionally, and they accept you for who you are. Now, I would have never guessed in a million years. Just because I know you and I know how connected with family you are, I would have never guessed in a million years that you actually didn't want to come back. To oh, I loved it out there. Yeah? Yeah. And so like, so coming back kind of broke your heart a little bit, mm-hmm. but you didn't really have very many options. You know, Correct. Like you were trying to survive yep. and make this thing happen. And your kids were, what, 10? 
11, how old were oh, you? Oh, uh, four months and two years. Four months and two years. I got it. So you would live together a while. Your kids had just been born. Then you exited. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Then your husband exited and then you needed to exit. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. Now I got it. Okay. So uh, what year did you come back to Crete? 87. 87. What happens between 1987 and 2007? You really want to know? <laughs> really, yes, you do. You're opening some skeletons in my closet. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, I remarried a gentleman from the Lutheran Church. Um, we had a, a child between us. We lived in Crete. Um, same thing, you know. You just didn't feel the love there. I mean, people were nice and everything, but I didn't feel God there. Um, and I'm sure, I know he was, but I had the head knowledge. I didn't have the, the heart, even though I faithfully attended. Then, divorce number two, which I'm not proud of, or I'm not proud of any of them, but... Um, well, look, there's lots of grace here. It's a journey. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's quite a journey. Yeah. And um, was it, uh, let me ask you a question. So in, in that, was it that, um, so you, you had crossed this Mississippi and now you're back and there's something about the siren call of saying, well, that's great. You're different on the inside, but really this is kind of the way that that looks. You know, uh, when you think about baby Christians, let's say they uh, get saved and they have a dramatic moment, right? um, which I think uh, many, there are many who've had a decision for Christ. But then they get into church and they see, uh, and God's telling them, you need to stop gossiping. But then they look around and everybody's gossiping. And so what happens is they believe that the lesser way of living is acceptable. And so everybody wants to fit in. Right. And so rather than deal with kind of the gossip and go, no, no, I'm going to deal with this in my life. I'm going to move forward no matter what. They kind of blend in and they wind up staying in a phase of maturity for a long time. It becomes kind of a sand trap in the journey. Um, and so you were growing at this place, it sounds like, and then you got to Crete and uh, you were back by necessity. You're attending the church and it kind of became a sand trap in some ways. Yes, it did. And is that, and so you met your, your, your husband at that time. And, um, so I thinking, had to go to the Lutheran church. <laughs> well, but thinking really, yeah, this is, I guess this is the way you do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it, am I being too naive on that or? I think, I think, no, you're not, you're right on. That's the way you had to do it. I think the difference is when she returned to that environment, as she explained to me, let's remember that in the that Lutheran church, um, uh, women have no role. They, okay. they, they, they meet together and they can teach children, but they don't have a voice. They don't get to vote. They don't get to say anything in effect, or they don't get to speak and go to business meetings. So I think listening to her tell me the story, I'm thinking she's still searching for a role that she can provide to Jesus. She's not getting to do that in that church. And it's, so it's amazing. I'm going to pause there because okay. it's amazing how much the service part, the serving Jesus really informs your growth absolutely mm -hmm. yeah. right absolutely it's just like a piece a lot of people miss a lot of people think well i'll just uh come to faith in christ and i'll get a bible and i'll read every now and again and i'll hang out with friends but the service part is a part of the thing that shapes you absolutely right and kind of drives you forward is that is absolutely that pretty yes. accurate yes and so um so having the absence of that actually delayed mm -hmm. uh some of the growth or maybe just extended the lessons that had to be learned. Right. And I can't say I didn't grow, but yeah. I didn't grow at, at the level that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And by the way, just for the record, for those who are listening, we're, nobody's bashing the Lutheran church. Here. No, no, there's some great Lutheran Absolutely. churches that are out there. Um, Absolutely. There's some wonderful Lutheran congregations. That's just this experience. Yeah. And in the same way that every church has its own thing, um, you have to take it church by church and uh, everybody's experience might be slightly different, but Churches are unique, and they're unique for a reason. So, Dennis, let's turn it back to you. Okay. Um, so, uh, Sandy uh, is married. Um, she's uh, gone through another divorce. A very painful first husband leaves her in Montana. She's back in Crete. Um, it's kind of delayed growth because she hasn't yet found her area of service. God is there. He's very much present. Um, but he's obfuscated somewhat by circumstances and family obligation. Mm -hmm. Other things just mm -hmm. kind of get in the way. 
Dennis, in the meantime, uh, you so you start off with uh, Billy Graham and you're a youth pastor and you go into the all business, right? Yep. You're the, you're the all. All. I'm you're in the all business. The all bit, the, the oil. Yes. Um, and uh, there's a movie called Up in the Air with mm -hmm. George Clooney. Mm -hmm. I'm not recommending it. I'm not movie. either. But essentially, he plays the guy who lets people go mm -hmm. in a corporation. Mm -hmm. Am I right in understanding that was your role? That was my role. I didn't have a woman in every port. Right, right. I didn't have a woman at all. Um, but Amico got into reorganization while I was working there. And so we released a lot of people. And then we had the merger with VP and released a lot more. So over a period of the last seven to nine years, I got to help. 17,000 people find a new career in effect. 17,000. And um, you moved from Alabama to where? I moved from Alabama when I was in graduate school to Joliet and then went back to Southern Indiana for 15 the years. Thriving metropolis yes. of Joliet. Yes, Joliet. Illinois. So then I came back to Joliet in 1983, worked in the Joliet plant as an HR manager for six years. And then I went to Chicago, spent my last 12 years with uh, in the corporate office. You and your wife uh, have how many kids? Six between us. Yes. Six between you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so you got six kids. Five now. My, my oldest son died right. a few years ago. But at that time, at six, six, yeah, kids. six kids. No, no. Back then, you and your first wife had three kids. Three kids. Oh, yes. No, oh, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about first. Your, your first wife. Three you were, kids. Three you were kids. Married in college when we left. Yes, yes, that's correct. Three years. Sorry, three, three years. Kids. So you're married in college, mm -hmm. you moved to Joliet mm -hmm. from Alabama. Mm -hmm. Three kids in tow. Uh, two kids in tow and had, went to Southern Indiana and had another one. Okay. Um, and then you make a devastating discovery in your own life. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. And as a result of that, uh, you and your wife split. Yes. And... Um, it, it, uh, it wasn't a lack of integrity on your part or anything like that. It was just one of those things where you got blindsided. Yes. Somewhat. And that left you in many ways as a single dad raising. With 400 children, a crop in the field. <laughs> there were only three and they weren't hungry and we didn't have a crop in the field, but three kids. Yes. Yeah. Take the fine time to leave me. Yes. Yeah, Lucille left me yesterday. And I'm sorry. Uh, that's a, yeah. it's a very painful yes. thing. And, um, the so now you're a single dad you're raising kids mm -hmm. and the follower of jesus but mm -hmm. you've got to be reeling you've absolutely got to be confused at lord uh why this mm -hmm. what is going on uh here i am i thank goodness i get to raise these kids but but what in the world is happening here what happened with her i mean you're wrestling with some pretty big things of personal responsibility, God's providence. Why does God allow things to happen? Why, why you, how did you navigate all of that? What was the two ways? First of all, I must have spent more time on my knees that my knees are now bad because I didn't understand because the, the word told me, if you, if you want something, ask for it, God will deliver you knock on the door. God will open the door. And that just didn't happen. And I didn't understand that. Um, but through the help of a pastor and a counselor, uh, I worked through that. And then my life was so busy after that, raising three kids and working a, a job that required a lot of hours, I realized I had to do both. And so I got back into church and was very active in the church there and learned uh, a lot more about what I needed to be as a father. And uh, when had you exited the church? I didn't really exit. I just was not as involved as I should have been. And so uh, I got. You, you were just kind of going. So when you say not as involved, what does that mean? I was going, and I was. I think I was in a couple of things. I was an usher or whatever, but not really involved in the church. Uh, interestingly, about uh, that, that, that nuance is important. Yeah, so I know. I've got to press into okay. that. Here's why: because there are people who are serving as an usher and think they're involved. Yes. And yet you served as an usher, and you said I didn't feel involved. involved. I didn't feel involved. And what, what was the difference? The ownership of the mission? Yes. And the vision of the church? I think the wise pastor said, I got something for him to do that will help him focus on Jesus more than what's tragic happened in his life. Mm -hmm. And so he, I became chairman of the personnel committee. So I got to work with the pastor a lot. And, um, and eventually, probably within six weeks of uh, end of my marriage, he asked me to 
to teach a singles class. <laughs> I'd been single for six weeks and I told him not a chance. So sure enough, two weeks later, I was teaching a singles <laughs> class of uh, 17 divorced women, one woman who'd never been married and one other guy. And you know, this is a book on what not to do. Yes, okay. I know exactly. <laughs> what and of course, the first thing I said is, what would you like to study? And you know what they all said. How do we get remarried? And I said, you can look at the Bible all you want. It's not going to encourage that anywhere. So, so I got to work with them a lot. And that helped me a lot working with others who'd been through the same thing I'd been and in a church environment. Yeah. And as a result and of the that. church served as a check. Absolutely. 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 Plus, you didn't want your life further complicated. No. Oh, right. absolutely not. I mean, it's a, so you're, so it's, this is uh, fascinating to me because this is one of those blows that a lot of people get that doesn't just drive them to their knees or knock the wind out of them. It actually knocks them off course. And they actually revert back to, some people revert back to like pre-salvation lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that didn't, you were owned by God. And now you've got three kids. And what you said was, wait a second. Uh, I have not been as engaged mm -hmm. as I should be on God's mission. God has clearly answered no to these prayers. And there is also such a thing as personal responsibility. Correct. And so I've got to just accept that um, my ex has to bear the personal responsibility for that. But I'm going to remain faithful to God. And you decided, and my children are going to know what it is to have a godly mm -hmm. father. And um, they're going to know what it is to, to be surrounded by a church that's on the move. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty bold decisions. Mm -hmm. And then to say, not only that, I'm going to say yes, because if the pastor says, oh, this is a good idea, yes. um, then I'm not going to say no mm -hmm. to that idea. I mean, mm -hmm. you said no, but then you said yes. Eventually. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's those are some unusual moves. I think one of the interesting things you said that is uh, so key is, instead of driving you off course, it actually drove you to your knees. Mm -hmm. That, would you say that, and by the way, this is, I'm kind of flashing back to 1962, mm -hmm. uh, where you're having a conversation with God mm -hmm. on the steps yes. of the, the student center or the library? Uh, library. Of the library. Mm -hmm. And um, that there's something about that raw conversation in those moments that mm -hmm. really mattered when it comes to when life hits you with some big trials mm -hmm. and just kind of talking to you got to God as you are mm -hmm. rather than again, this mm -hmm. good clock is good. Running. But, uh, but as opposed to uh, trying to appear religious before God or mm -hmm. create a religion or go from the outside in. Um, so, I mean, that's just a lot of prayer I and mean, that's just, and then you're it's survival it's in the survival. same way, really Sandy, you were in survival, right? Yeah. Uh, as well. Yeah. Um, when my first husband left, like I said, God prepared me for that by having me in that Baptist church, because like you say, you could, I could have easily went off course. Mm. I had, I thought about suicide. I thought about drinking. I thought about all those things, but mm. he made me realize I'm responsible for raising these children mm -hmm. and I'm all they have. So, I either got to do this with him or without him. Mm -hmm. And I either got to do it right or, or screw it up. And I couldn't do it without him. Yeah. And so I, I faithfully, you know, how the, the Baptists go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And yes, I was yes, there every time through the winter, whatever. Yeah, I was faithfully there. And wow. they helped me through that. And then in, in, uh, in the church in Crete, of course, a lot of that service stuff goes away. But you're still faithful. I and mean, that's what's yes. the interesting thing is that yeah. you're still being very faithful. Now, you're divorced again. You're mm -hmm. reeling again. Mm -hmm. What year is this? Uh, Big pause. I don't know. I don't know. I don't 2005. Know. I don't know. I'm sorry. 2005. All right. So how do uh, you two meet? Now, by the way, I just want to make sure that I understand timelines right. Your son had not passed on yet. No. Right. Okay. No. So um, 2005, uh, by the way, I bring that up deliberately. I know we're, we're going to talk about that, but only because both of you have been through a lot of tragedy. Mm -hmm. I mean, just mm -hmm. life is unfair kind of stuff. That's mm -hmm. really hard. And yet your character is marked with joy. You're fun to be around. 
you're, um, you're gracious, you're compassionate. It, the, the trials of life haven't made you bitter against God. If anything, it's made you go, yeah, Lord, like there's, there's something happened there that has, it's giving you a different perspective or posture. And so I want to get into that just a little bit. So, but anyway, so how do you two meet? How does Joliet meet Crete? I guess is really the question. Mm. I feel like that should be like a Romeo and Juliet. You know, Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> we, met, and, we met online. You met online. Okay. Plenty of fish. Yahoo, Yahoo personal. Yahoo, Yahoo personal, which went out of business shortly after we met. <laughs> <laughs> We're not saying you're the yeah, reason. That's right. We're not We're saying. just noting yes, the Yes, 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 yes. So, uh, blind date, because you met online? Yes. Okay, got it. So, so now, you're, it's a, blind dates are big gold moments. Yes. Did you both have, ex I, this is just yeah. me asking, did you both have like pre-planned exit strategies on this for this date? Like when I get into it, if this is going poorly, so-and-so will call me or if this goes bad, I'll get out or what did you, uh, what were you no. guys? No, no, I, I didn't. didn't. I like dating. I just like going out and talking. So if it was a bad day, you guys well, were going to yep. no matter what. All right. So what was the first date? We went remember? to Buca de Peppa. Buca de Peppa. Yeah, baby. Did you eat Italian in the Pope we room at all? Italian <laughs> yes, we did with the Pope. Yep, very he did. Very nice. Very nice. And then in 2007, Sandy, you come to Grace Point Plainfield. He started coming to help him set up in the mornings before church. Wow. And you guys were married what year? 2012. Wow. 2012. That's a lot of dating. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. That's a lot, sure of, was. a lot of relationships. Well, I kind of went in and out. <laughs> Yeah. She, she. I'll tell the story because she won't tell it the right way, of course. But you're both still going to the. the oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. She, um, she, she was not impressed with me on the first date. She had a list. When you do Yahoo personal, you have to list the things you're interested. In. Wait a minute. List list the personal things she had, and I think I always say there were forty she had listed. There were probably only half a dozen. Three. She, three. Says three. she says three. She's three fingers. It was eleven. I can name all eleven. I feel. I feel like she's heard this before. She's 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 many about yes. But the number one item on her list was he's got to be a believer. And yeah. so, I start with a great opportunity. Right oh, there. Wait, wait, stop. So, by the way, that's huge. To start by saying he has to be a believer, it's almost like you kind of went, "I've done this kind of figure it out as we go thing," and uh, socially acceptable and it's a nice religion for us to be in i'm done with that like i want a guy who's owned by god yes period like that's a that's a huge deal right and so you were like great i'm a believer turns out right and you thought i, I meet this profile she was not interested in me in the beginning so i became her friend and helped her with her other dates oh she yeah. actually called me from her other dates to say you what were do you that think? guy i was that guy oh. so Wait, wait, so it does work out for some of those guys. It does work yeah. out. So if you you're patient and you wait yeah. and you help her, then maybe you get maybe a you got a shot. Maybe you get a shot. Was there a conversation about the friend zone? Well, I, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a conversation. Like, we became great friends, and and I asked him why did you stick around. He goes, the arrogant man that he is, or humble man that he is. He said, I knew you'd be bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you uh, find out about Grace Point? Because you're in Joliet. Uh, my youngest son, a group of us had moved from a church and we're, and we're meeting on our own, 25 of us. And my youngest son worked for Terry Messy. Oh, okay. From the Naperville yeah, campus. absolutely. Terry told him, understand what was happening. He said, well, why don't, we're starting a church in Plainfield, which would be much closer to you guys in Joliet. So why don't you come try it? So as a result of that, I met with John Bell, who was then the pastor in Naperville. And he said, by all means, come. And so we showed up the second week and this was when I was meeting in a high school we were meeting at skull and middle school, middle school in, in Naperville. Yeah. And as a result, after the, after the service, suddenly I'm helping tear down. I don't know what made me do that, but so the next week I'm suddenly on the setup team. And from that point on, I obviously was involved in the setup team. By the way, let me just, uh, uh, just as a quick, quick antidote, only because I was speaking to my oldest son this morning, who's in Kentucky. Yeah. And um, I said, how was church this morning? And, uh, and he said, it was really good. Dad, I felt so glad they let, they let me serve. Um, and I said, well, what do you do? He says, I got to take out the trash. That's the first time I've been able to, to serve in some way in, a, in several Dynamite. weeks or months. And I've really missed just being able to do something for others. Mm -hmm. um, 
that's ministry related or just some way of mm -hmm. kind of saying, listen, we're in this together. So it's funny how even just taking out trash or Absolutely. I remember uh, my boys, because my boys grew up asking, what can we do mm -hmm. in a variety of churches? We were in a really big church in um, in, uh, in Nashville area. Mm -hmm. And it was right after one of the services. And one of my boys started uh, taking down chairs because he saw other people do it. And they're like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. So I'm just helping to take down chairs. And they said, no, no, we've hired someone. <laughs> so <laughs> Oops. it's a, it's a, uh, you know, that's a, that's a real, it's a kind of an ethos thing. It's a, it's a, a recognition of just jumping in and helping. And it is. Plus fun. you get to meet and, and become friends with men and women of, of faith who are already going here. A lot of them come from Naperville mm -hmm. and to set up the church. And so I got to meet a lot of people that I became close friends with and are friends with today. So, uh, so that's how you get involved with playing field. Then Sandy's like, well, I, I hey, know Dennis, I'm, let's go. And, uh, and you're attending now. And, and Sandy, for you was faith must've just blossomed after having had a drought. Mm -hmm. You must've gone from like, it must've been like water. It was great. Yeah. Right. In a, in a desert, like, oh my mm -hmm. goodness, just start. And so now you're growing. Plainfield is doing well. Um, the next big hurdle mm -hmm. is your son. Mm -hmm. And uh, you want to you want to share what happened to your sure, son? Sure, sure. Okay. Um, Mike was the uh, worship leader at at, at the Plainfield campus, only and all for years. And we tried to get him to actually become a worship leader. He'd been the worship pastor in his previous church and gone through a bad experience. So he was. Didn't want to ever take right, the job. Yeah, yeah. He didn't really want to take the official job, but he would come on Thursday nights and practice and then come on Sunday morning and lead the worship team. And uh, he had a uh, massive heart attack mm -hmm. and died. And uh, left as, behind a wife. And left behind a wife and three kids three and who lived next door to me, actually. So I was able to help them along the way. So you're and, grieving the loss of your son, even as your grandkids are grieving the loss of their dad. Yes. And your daughter-in-law is trying to figure out what happens now, what do I do both now? with the family dynamic, because she lives next door to you. And, mm -hmm. you know, she's a, it's the in-law kind of a thing, but also everybody's trying to figure out how to cope individually and together. And along came, I'll do this now and I'll regret this word later because somebody will remind me, I said it once, Along came this angel, an angel named Sandy, who yeah. came because she was with me. She's extremely good, particularly with other women, but she's also incredibly gifted with kids. Mm -hmm. And so because she was with me, she would go with me to their house and spend time with them. And they fell in love with her. Yeah. Um, what year was this? This would have been 2010. 2010. And so she became part of the family. Yeah. Uh, and as a result of that, they were over able to overcome this a lot easier than they probably would have because they didn't have uh, uh, anybody else they could turn to. And still faithfully active at Plainfield. Absolutely, still absolutely. I mean, uh, serving as a leader. Um, Sandy's still faithfully serving um, mm -hmm. at Plainfield, and you guys are so active, and yet you're you're trying to get through this big, big, big thing in somebody's big. life. You know, it was you, big. You don't ever want to outlive. No kids. And, no. Uh, and that's just a huge thing. And then, I mean, what was, was it more, um, was it a little bit like the early days of, uh, I didn't have much time to think cause I'm trying to juggle everything or was it, I really, that, that grief, how hard and black and thick were those rain clouds as you had to walk through that storm? Uh, immediately, uh, I was numb obviously, but, when I came out of that, because of the family, I had to get back in with them. I had to be strong with them. Not like the kid, they had a very delicate daughter who uh, really struggled with this. She was very close to her dad. Uh, the youngest child, a daughter, uh, was only four or five years old. So obviously she's just beginning to know her dad. But uh, as a result of that, I think God used that opportunity to say, "Here, I've got work for you to do. You're not through. So. Uh, he kept me active in the church and kept me working with other people. That so, in some uh, ways, the responsibility through it helped. I think responsibility. It's a great testimony to many people mm -hmm. um, on how to how to stay close to God and be faithful no matter what comes your way. Yeah, it's amazing what happens is you know uh, older saints they they or more mature saints what what happens is they 
people, everybody thinks, well, I guess if you're further, if you're closer with Jesus, it's, uh, it makes the storm uh, less severe. And that's not the case. No. Yeah. The storm is just as severe, sometimes even more so. It's that you're not as afraid when you're walking through it. It's not that mm -hmm. you're not dealing with everything. Mm -hmm. It's just that the fear mm -hmm. of it, uh, because you figured out already that Jesus can bring you through other things. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, that's just a, that's a big, big moment. Was there, a, I just had curiosity, was there like a big character change moment for you both in kind of your journey? I'm going to go a retro just a little bit. Mm -hmm. but, um, was there this moment where you're like, man, I used to be known for that trait. Thank goodness I'm not known for that thing anymore. That Jesus kind of broke in you or, or was that not? I don't think something? so. I don't think so. I think the fact that Sandy was there and had experienced this, her own kind of grief yeah. twice now, uh, made it a lot easier for us to transition to that because she was able, she didn't try to comfort me, but the fact that she had been through that, I knew she'd experienced what I'd experienced in a different way. And so she was more helpful to the kids. And I think the transition made us closer as a couple. You'd experienced what he'd experienced? Well, I mean, going through the divorce is, right, is, right. was such a tragedy. Okay. It's a loss of life in effect, you yeah. lose your identity. But so I think that fact made us closer. And we, we begin to realize there, this is a serious relationship and it, uh, God willing, it's going to go somewhere. When I started going to Grace Point, I helped with setup, and that's all I did. I didn't feel really connected to a lot of people at first because I didn't live here. I'd go back home during the week. I would, so I was working, and, and um, so I didn't get to develop really close relationships like I would have liked. But then um, after we got married, I'm trying to figure out where I what I can do. And so I thought, well, I'll work with the babies. And so I asked, start somewhere. I yeah. asked who was in charge if I could do that. She goes, well, we really don't need anybody there, but we could use somebody in Jesus kids. So I did that for a couple of years and that wasn't, that's not where I wanted to be either. And so I kept thinking about it and, and um, I started, Leslie was the head of deacons. And so I asked her what that was all about. And that kind of intrigued me. And so I've been a deacon for the last Four or five four years. Five years. Yeah. On the leadership and that's team. made a big, big difference in my growth. Mm -hmm. All right. Now that the doorbell has rung and has been answered, <laughs> that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so uh, married in 2012. Yes. And uh, lost your son in 2010. Yes. So it's a couple years later, and now there's this big moment of joy mm -hmm. in your life. Absolutely. Um, at what point do you discover that your daughter has cancer? 2014, 13, 13, I'm sorry, January, 2013. So a year later. Mm -hmm. And now your daughter has cancer. Stage four breast cancer. Stage four breast cancer mm -hmm. and uh, has, is even going through chemo today. Mm -hmm. yes. And uh, her faith is pretty remarkable. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. She's such a, got such a faith in God. And, um, there's something about being able to share Jesus through suffering and through trial. You know, mm -hmm. It's just such a big, big deal. What, what would you say is the, the piece of advice you would give to someone who's still in this process, one? And then two, what would you say is the, the thing that you uh, are learning about God right now the most? Because you're going into a whole new phase of your lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So kind of a two-parter, um, what would you teach? What would you say? Here's what you should do. And then what are you facing together? I'll go first and I'll say, I'll simply say that uh, I think because I've had the opportunity to teach classes, uh, what I tell people a lot is don't minimize the experiences you have, aka the experience Sandy has had, the experiences I've had, the loss I've had. God will use those later in your life. Well, somebody will say, well, I can't help anybody. I'm not, I can't reach out and tell somebody a story or I don't know what to say to somebody. The fact that God has given you experiences and some of them negative, mm -hmm. some of them hurtful, some of them really serious. Well, he will give you the opportunity to use that to help somebody else. So yeah. somebody who's gone through a divorce understands the pain of that. Someday God's going to put someone in your life that you're going to be able to help. Yeah. Because of that experience. I would say that's probably the biggest thing. And, and we try to share. We actually have done some couples work with some couples struggling in their marriage. Uh, and the and the point of that is 
we need to give our experiences so they understand we've gone through the same thing they have and we can share them and they tend to listen more when they know you're there. That's a deep biblical principle that God wastes nothing. Correct. That's, and it's such a hard thing to wrap our heads around because we think, well, I blew it. And so therefore, uh, I guess God, that's a blip on this road. And we tend to think of God's lines being straight and in our line being squirrely. Correct. Um, and the truth is, God says, yeah, my way is straight, but understand, I'm going to use every curve in that road, every mistake to kind of help you move further mm-hmm. and upward mm-hmm. and not in circles mm-hmm. or around or wandering the countryside. Mm-hmm. We pray for him to send us, put people in our path that, you know, have been divorced or are going through divorce so that we can help them. Isn't that wild that uh, kind of the divorce has become a part of your ministry. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of pain involved with that, mm-hmm. right? And so, but to be able to go, um, that pain no longer has a hold on me. I have freedom and victory. And God has given me a kind of new lease in a relationship moving forward. So that's really, really powerful uh, for those who are listening. Remember, God wastes nothing. And as, as uh, little or as big as you think your story is, it's critical to witness in the world it's critical to bearing testimony to his greatness part of the issue today is we we think before we can go witness we have to memorize 637 verses of scripture that covers everything no all you do is tell your story Mm -hmm. and if god puts in your life somebody who has experienced some of the same things you have you have a perfect story to share with i just think it's more real oh absolutely when someone's when someone's hearing okay Tell me what your experience was like. God was there. You, you found God. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's real. Correct. How did you meet him? And even if you go, look, this is going to sound crazy. It's specific to me. I can't explain it all, but here's what I can tell you. There's something about that that's very, very real. And I think people relate to authenticity. They don't have to go through everything else that you went through, but they have to know that there's something meaty there. There's something real there that um, can't be explained away. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody loves to make the attempt to explain it away. Right. It kind of right. sticks. What would be the, the thing that you guys feel like you're facing now? Because here you are, you're a couple, you're journeying forward in faith, you're transitioning in a new season. You know, Grace Point's just going to miss you guys like crazy. And I'm not just talking about Plainfield. I mean, Grace Point, the whole church. Um, and I will personally. Um, it's a good excuse for me to go visit y'all, but uh, but still. Come on down. No, I will. I, I will attempt that. Sandy may have a better answer than me. I think the truth is, I think we've come to the point now where Grace Point has prepared us. God has used Grace Point to prepare us for the next phase. We're anxious not to leave people behind, but to go see who God has for us and tend to say, because we're going to meet new people. And I think I've shared with you in the past that on our street alone, at least eight of the 14 couples we've met came from Illinois. So it's people not from the deep South. It's people from so right God, here. God's preparing the way before you. He's Correct. like, congratulations on the city to a mixed cultural area. And being that we live an hour and 15 minutes away, it's really hard to invite people to church. Yeah. And we haven't had the opportunity to do that. But even though we haven't had that opportunity, he's been growing us and preparing us to have that opportunity. To mm-hmm. have that. And now you're stepping in a situation where you can have people over Right. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited about that. Wow. So I love this approach that really uh, what I hear you saying, tell me if I'm wrong. What I hear you saying is uh, honestly, Derek, the next challenge is we're missionaries and we're heading to a mission field. Absolutely. And uh, we're seeing that we've been prepared uniquely for it. And we just got for again, for the listeners, that is such a beautiful perspective because it's number one, it's not phoning it in. It's not like, oh, we're going to do our own thing and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out and kind of develop a rhythm. It's literally saying, oh, we're going to be proactive. We're going to be points of light when we go. And we know when we first thought about this, we prayed about it. You know, do you want us to go to Tennessee, God, or not? You know, we prayed and, and he just made it crystal clear. We sold three houses in a year mm-hmm. and they all went quickly and... The last house we sold that we were living in, I told Dennis, if we sell this the house, house in Crete sold. Yes, yes, that one just amazing. sold. And you I can said, sell a house in Crete. Crete, you can go. Yes. You're ready to go. And I said, if this house sells quickly, I know this is what we're supposed to do. And we sold it in two weeks. My goodness. There's a funny sideline to that, and that is soon after I became a believer, and we began to hear the message of 
when God calls you, you need to respond. I would hear that and nod and say, yes, yes. And then I'd go home and I'd say, dear God, please don't call me to be a missionary. The worst thing, I would never be a missionary. I can't be a missionary. Guess what? Here we are, yeah. you, Grace Point, God, send us down to be missionaries, in effect, mm -hmm. to another part of the country. And suddenly I'm looking forward to that instead of being afraid of it. And, you know, it's uh, it's so funny you should talk about the missional aspect because when I think about your stories, all of the accelerated growth, right, was missional. Mm -hmm. Every single moment. Mm -hmm. Going back to... Uh, not just serving the church, but the mission of working with Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. Going back to, we're on in a small Baptist church plant in Montana, trying to be on mission, right? Going back to, okay, we're going to join this missional church plant called Grace Point mm -hmm. in Plainfield. That all the way throughout, there have been these moments where God has said, uh, go out, accelerate. I know it's tough, but understand that I'm, I'm going to be with you. And you go to grow, right? You go to grow. Yes, and so here you are going to grow. And so, listen, I love you guys. Uh, we're going to be praying for you. We thank the world of you. I'll say one more thing. You asked sure. about, you know, what our advice is to people who want to grow. And my thing is get involved. Mm -hmm. It helps you grow in more ways than you ever imagined. My goodness. Well, we've had so many themes in this. Themes of scripture, digging into scripture. Themes of prayer, relying on prayer. Themes of mission. Themes of service. <clears throat> Ultimately, it's all um, wrapped up in this relationship, uh, this adventure that we have with Jesus. I can't wait to see what God has in store for you guys. And um, we really do love you. We really will miss you. But we also know that um, you're going to light Tennessee up because you're there. So We just hope we find a church like Grace Point. Yeah. Find one or start one. We've got to start one, I think. GP4. GP4. <laughs> hey, we're always looking to have another one. All right, guys. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.